Bargani Misfits. Welcome to the Healing Space, a black and queer mental health podcast geared toward proving there is more than one way to heal. I am your host, Sensei Raven Akundayo. And Habargani means what's the news. Why? Because today is Umoja, which means unity. The very first day of seven celebrating Kwanzaa. Yeah. So I'm happy. I'm excited. (laughs) And again, for those of you who listen to the podcast, you know that I am not excited for a lot of things. But I look forward to Kwanzaa every single year. And it's one of the things I'm going to be covering this week. Covering? Did I say covering? Covering (laughs) this week. (laughs) You'll hear about it later on in the episode as I give you a breakdown and history of what Kwanzaa is and means to me. As well as in the culture of pop, discussing the trailer that just came out yesterday on Christmas for Us by Jordan Peele, as well as my spoiler-free review of Bird Box, aka the remake of M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. (laughs) We're going to get into all that. However, this episode is very important to me, not only because It's the end of the year. This is our very last episode of the Healing Space podcast for 2018. But also I named it Rise from the Ashes because this is also the very last episode in the year of the Phoenix. So I want you guys to take a moment after you finish listening to this episode. If you're listening to this after Thursday. So if you're listening to this after December 27th, take time to go back and listen to an episode with a bunch of misfits from all around the world who came together and talked about their journeys through the ashes and rising higher on a brief healing. We had a special brief healing episode that went up this week, and I want you guys to check it out. So if you just so happen to listen to this on the first day of Kwanzaa, it won't be up yet. It doesn't air until Thursday the 27th. But once it's up on Thursday, please make sure you take a listen to it. Because I didn't want to just share my journey and what it is that I went through in 2017. I knew that there were others out there. And it's important to hear so many different voices because someone out there listening needs healing, you know. And hopefully hearing these stories will help you to heal. And I pray that it helped those misfits to heal by telling their stories as well. So I'm going to go ahead and begin telling my story. And we're going to start off with the ashes. So for me, I had, I split it up into two. There's the ashes and then the phoenix rising. So this is where I was in my worst spaces in 2018. And I've been very transparent about that on the show, about my journey and where I've been. So some of this will sound familiar to those of you who are regular listeners. My ashes started off with anxiety and depression. This year, I experienced some really painful and at times debilitating anxiety. I mean, to the point of not wanting to get out of bed. A lot of it had to do with not trusting Not being able to trust people can really mess with you mentally and emotionally. Also, depression. Depression showed up as I continued continued to not have a 9 to 5 and hustle my ass off to procure my yoga students. And then the feeling of possibly losing it all once I had the job. I woke up sad, and even though I would embrace my happiness daily, it was my joy I needed to be connecting with. There were points I felt I was actually chained to these ashes. That I'd die and wasn't going to be given another chance to rise again. 
Now, it wasn't a pity party, not at all, as I definitely didn't feel sad for myself or needed anyone else to feel sad for me either. I just honestly didn't know how to rise back up. I couldn't really trust the people at my job. My home life was chaotic and very scary, if I'm being honest. Things were bad all around in my life. For four months, I didn't know who I was and no one looked familiar to me. I wasn't at peace at home or at work. Imagine a life like that. Now, my second one was death in my family. This year, I lost my paternal grandmother and my middle sister. Their passings were only months apart. It was a little overwhelming. Well, no, a lot overwhelming, mostly because of my dad. I mean, I heard, especially with my sister, that one took some time to heal from. But my dad lost not only his daughter, but his mother as well. Again, only months apart. I feared for him, scared that he could relapse. When I went home, I made sure to stay with he and my stepmom as often as I could, as I wanted to keep an eye on him and make sure that he knew I had his back. I was so happy to remember that his support system are those who he's helped to get and stay clean. They always have his back. People are constantly checking up on him and making sure that he's not alone. That gave me peace. I can admit that I don't allow myself to think about my sister for too long, mostly because when I think about how she left us, it makes me really, really sad. However, I know that at some point I'm going to need to truly face my full feelings and just let the floodgates open, but it hurts. It still hurts. And last, as far as the ashes would be friendship. For as long as I've had a friend, I've known loss. If I believed in being jinxed or cursed, I would think someone cursed me at birth to live a life never knowing who to trust. And having people turn their back on me left and right has been my entire life. It's quite sad when you can count the people who you have never had a deep and painful situation happen with or stress your life in any way on one hand. This is a mental health podcast and I do my best to always be transparent with you guys. So the truth is, I'm pretty numb at this point. I'm not sure how healthy it is, but I'm numb to the idea of losing friends. I now choose to focus on the people I'm blessed to have as opposed to those who I don't, you know. I can't keep allowing my past, even if my past is only weeks ago, (laughs) of people coming in and out of my life at a whim to destroy me. If there is any consistent pain that I've had throughout my entire life, it is never knowing who my true friends are. Imagine living a life like that questioning on a regular basis if you can trust people it is not a happy existence (laughs) which is why i fight so hard to stay so close to the light which then brings us to the phoenix rises these are the areas of my life where i celebrated this year for all of the places that i was in the ashes this is where i soared i got a job Well, I'm forever grateful that yoga has kept money in my bank accounts the entire time I've been in ATL. It feels good to know I only have, wait a minute, how did I remember these are notes I'm reading? Bear with me. Um, It feels good to know that I only have far, what? It feels good to know that I have far more money coming in. There we go. (laughs) But to also have benefits. 
Most importantly, my job isn't just any random job that I feel forced to get up for every day. I'm literally working in my field. I'm working in wellness. God took me through a deeply painful storm, but on the other side of it, I'm helping to heal the homeless. I'm providing peace for those battling mental health issues. I'm inspiring youth to get jobs and to make a difference. I'm quite literally living in my purpose. So that's the first one. I had no idea when or how that job was going to show up, but everything happens when it's supposed to happen, and I'm thankful for it. The second would be I got my car and my Georgia driver's license. I had no desire to get a car this year. However, the job that I have now changed that. It's pretty important to have a vehicle working there. Not only that, but Atlanta is a place where it would behoove you to drive. (laughs) Trust me, I know. I've spent way too much money on Ubers. I literally knocked out both getting my license and getting my car within 48 hours of one another. I got emotional while driving my new vehicle. I just thought of all the pain I've experienced all year long, and now I have a job and a vehicle when I started the year with neither. And lastly, for the things that have helped me to rise and for the phoenix to soar, would be my yoga practice and my yoga students. I want to start off by saying that I mean everything about what I'm about to say from the depths of my soul. My practice kept me lifted this year. During much uncertainty, my practice and a handful of students never wavered. It means the world to me. I'm closing out the year with more private sessions than I've ever had before. Literally, in the last four days, I've gotten four new one-on-one private session students. Just in the last four days. The, the end of this year has shown up for me in such a major way. I can't even, I can't even, like, like, and I mean all across the board. Like my license and then my car and building better relationships with my coworkers and the way that my yoga practice, who knew? And I mean, I guess duh on my end, but putting up more posts of me actually teaching people. Like, I guess it's one thing to see me doing yoga, but to see me teaching people, I guess, gives people a better understanding of what they're in for. And suddenly I've started getting inbox messages, text messages of people who are ready to join now that they see what I can do. And that felt amazing. You know, even online students. It's a great feeling. And sex, baby, in this fourth quarter, the way that sex has stepped up this year. (laughs) I mean, I've had good sex throughout this year, but... Oh, it's on a whole nother level. Like it started what the beginning, the end of October, beginning of November. Like it just, it's hit a whole new stride. Come on. (laughs) I'm here for it. I'm here for the close out of this year. I really, really am. And I'm, I'm entering into 2019 at a high and I'm grateful for it. I gave my, I said that to myself as I was making my way toward my 39th birthday. I said, I will not end this year in the ashes. I will end this year soaring. And I'm so thankful that with less than a week away, I'm keeping my word to myself. I'm also keeping my word about my 40 to 40 challenge where I'm literally doing a push up. I'll I'll push up, excuse me, 40, at least 40 push ups every single day until my 40th birthday on November 19th, 2019. I'm going to keep my word to myself. (laughs) This has been a phenomenal year. It really has been. Uh, I've endured a lot of pain, more pain than I have in many years. 
But the fact that I can look at it and say that it was a phenomenal year means that I understand that all of that pain that I went through was to grow me, was to evolve me. All of that pain never happens just to happen. It always happens for a reason. And even though in the midst of it, I didn't understand, I am so happy to know now, looking back in hindsight, that it was all for a reason. I give thanks. Thank all of you for listening to this right now. We're going to continue. As I'm going to explain to some of you, because some of you already know, (laughs) but for those of you misfits who don't, I'm going to explain to you what Kwanzaa is and what Kwanzaa means to me. We'll be right back. For the past two decades, I've celebrated Kwanzaa. Like most things we're born and taught to love, I reached a point where Christmas didn't do it for me anymore. I was blessed to have amazing Christmases, don't get me wrong. Tons of toys and I wanted for nothing. I was spoiled. But as I got older, I became disillusioned by the materialism of it all. I wanted more. Something with depth. I discovered Kwanzaa and it changed everything for me. It not only provided me with something deeper to celebrate, but also a deeper connection to my culture. Kwanzaa was created by Dr. Maulana Karinga in 1966. It was created as a way to hopefully bring black people together as more of a community following the Watts riots. Now, the Nguzo Saba, which are the seven principles of Kwanzaa, span seven days beginning on the 26th when you're listening to this. Well, you may be listening to this later on, (laughs) but this was recorded on the 26th of December and goes all the way until January 1st. Those seven principles are Umoja, which is unity, Kuji Chakulia, which is self-determination, Ujima, collective work and responsibility, Ujama, cooperative economics, Nia, which is purpose, Kuumba, which is creativity, and Imani, which is faith. During the seven days, you light a candle on the Kanara, the candle holder, and discuss the day's principle. The first day, the black candle in the middle is lit for Umoja, unity. Now, there are some symbols that go along with this as well. The first one would be the Mkeka. This is the matte foundation for all of the symbols to lie upon. Then, as mentioned earlier, there's the Kanara, the candle holder. This represents our ancestors and where we came from as a people. Next would be the Mishuma, which is the candles. They represent a different day and principle of the Nguza Saba. Next would be the Kikumbe Cha Umoja, the cup. This cup is used to pour libations for our ancestors as well as for each of us to drink from, which symbolizes Umoja, once again, unity. Next would be the Muzao, the gathering of fruit into what is often a basket, which represents crops or the fruits of our labor. Next would be the Muhundi, the ears of corn, which represent the children and the children's future. Lastly would be the Zawadi, which are the gifts. And I have people ask me about the gifts of, for Kwanzaa all the time. And <laughs> there are two major gifts that are stressed during the celebration of Kwanzaa. Books, as I often mention to everyone, as well as heritage symbols. One represents knowledge, while the other speaks to the importance of remembering and celebrating our culture. I always share with people when it comes to the gifts is that I accept books and anything that you make by hand. 
anything that is a creation of your own, people usually choose to go with books. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, not not all on the materialistic thing. There, there's so much that can be expressed through a book, you know, especially it can show a person that you've been listening to them, that you've heard them speak of certain things or how well you know their personality. You can purchase a book that they've never mentioned to you before. They may not even know the book exists, but because you know their personality and what speaks to them, you purchase this book and it's something they end up loving. You know, there's a particular order that you're supposed to follow when placing everything on the Mkeka, but I don't follow that. <laughs> I just lay everything down <laughs> and go from there. It pretty much seems uh, simple to me that, of course, the the Kanara would go first, and it's like okay, and then the Umshuma would go next because those are the candles, and then after that, you just have at it and put everything where you want to put it. I still celebrate Christmas with my family. I don't shame Christmas as it brings so much joy to lots of people. I made a personal decision to celebrate the Nguza Saba instead. My hope is that black people stop shaming something positive that was created for us. It hurts my heart to know that so many people of color speak of Kwanzaa as if it's a joke. I still don't get that two decades later. I'm grateful that Kwanzaa exists and I thank you all for taking a time to listen and to learn. Habaragani. Okay, so let's get into the culture of pop. There are only two things I wanted to talk about for the culture of pop, but I took pretty lengthy notes. One being the trailer for Jordan Peele's new movie called Us. Okay, so bear with me. I took a lot of notes. Okay, so <laughs> Us tells the story of a family who goes to their beach house for the summer. The mother is played by Lupita Nyong'o. And the father's played by Winston Duke. Now, the two of them actually have a history. Uh, they went to school together and, of course, uh, college. And as most people know, they were also in Black Panther together as well. So they're actually really cool. They're really cool and really good friends in real life. Um, I put that they had great use of the song Five on It by Loonies. And I love how they, if you've seen the trailer, you know that it starts out very light in the beginning. And I was sitting there I was, as I was watching it. Like, I knew that it was going to be a horror. There are a lot of people who have been talking online who I've realized aren't really into pop culture. Because I saw a lot of really surprised and shocked people saying they didn't know what kind of movie this was going to be. And I was like, if you've been following social media at all, from the beginning, they said this was going to be another horror movie. So, I'm not sure what. I mean, well, I guess Get Out was more so of a thriller. But yeah, he was stressing this was going to still be in the same vein, actually darker. So I was like, how is it people were confused by the beginning? But yeah, in the beginning, it was just the regular five on it. And then as it got deeper into the um, the preview, the trailer, the song got a lot darker. And I loved how they twisted it. That was really cool. There are a lot of people who are saying that he did the same thing for Redbone with Get Out. I give you my word. I do not remember Redbone ever being used for Get Out. I don't know if I was so exhausted by the song at that point that I completely blocked it out or what, but I do not remember that song playing. But yeah, it works out great. Then I put, it was funny seeing Lupita look to get her son on rhythm for the song, yet she wasn't. And that was very interesting to me because I watched, I watched the preview, I mean the trailer several times. I watched it at least like maybe 10 times. And because of course I want to watch it and analyze it. So I'm looking at it, and each time I'm like, but she's not on rhythm either. 
so what does that mean? Like, that was that was very interesting to me. Uh, I put they're on the beach with their friends, and Elizabeth Moss is one of those friends. Now, for those of you who watch um, A Handmaid's Tale, you know Elizabeth Moss is the main character. Lupita's character notice that their son is missing when they're on the beach, and then they show a clip of their son walking down the beach toward a man at a trench coat with blood coming down one of his hands. So I'm looking at that, and that's one of the reasons why I looked at it over. I looked at the trailer so many times is because I'm like, what role is this guy going to play? Like the the way that he's standing, if you're if you're paying attention to it, I'm gonna get into it later on. I guess I'll just go ahead and say it now. No, I'll wait because I'm going in order with my notes. But I'm gonna come back to him. And the reason why I think that part is significant. It then takes us to their house, the beach house, where the son informs them that there's a family that's in the driveway. Winston Duke's character goes outside with a bat and threatens them. Suddenly, the family scatters towards the house. I put, now they showed still shots from a movie a few days ago. Yeah, okay. So I'm reading my notes and then I'm speaking. Um, <laughs> and there were a, a few still shots that came out a few days ago before they dropped it yesterday on Christmas. And I could clearly tell that it was Lupita and Winston and their kids. I guess some people were confused. I don't know how it's possible. Like Winston has a, a very commanding presence. That's a very tall, big dude. And then you can tell Lupita because when she's standing next to him, her hair reminds me of when she had it. No, mind you, it's not the same hairstyle, but it reminded me of her hair in Black Panther. So I immediately knew who they were in the picture. So I'm like, okay, this is clearly going to be something about people who look like them. That's the first thing I thought when I um, when I saw the photos. Because I'm like, okay, so if they're in the house, this is them outside too. So what kind of storyline are they going with with this? Uh, so then I put uh, da, 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 still shots. Okay, here's the thing I was going to talk about. The doppelgangers are called the tethered. So they realize that the family standing outside is them and they're dressed in uh, all red. And so this is what I found out in my uh, research for the movie is that they're called the tethered. Now, going back to what I said about the guy on the beach earlier, as you look through uh, the trailer and as it goes along, you'll notice that there are a lot of scenes where the camera only spans down, pans down to the hands of the people. And often the tethered are usually holding hands or something like that. Or they're standing next to each other with their arms out. You notice the man standing on the beach has his arms the exact same way as the tethered. Yet there's no one standing next to him. His back is turned away. Just like the tethered seem to be in every scene where you see them. But yet there's no one standing next to him. So I feel like that's going to be something important that we're going to find out as it goes along. Like why is it that he was standing there? No one was standing next to him, but he was in the exact same pose that the tethered are always in. And so, okay. I say one theory that I have about the movie could be speaking on um, some level of code switching. Jordan has made it clear that several of his movies will deal with social issues and listing and, and listening to the way that the family speaks. It makes me wonder if that's the case, if this is going to be about code switching, the way that the family acts as you see how they're acting in the, the car when they're first on their way to the beach. And I'm paying attention to the way that Lupita is speaking in a lot of scenes. Very proper, you know, and I'm wondering if that's going because if you listen to her creepy ass character um, who's a part of the tethered, she sounds nothing like that. So it's part of me wonders that. 
Then I say, I also believe that the little girl that you see choking herself is Lupita as a child. I don't know how many people noticed this. I don't know if you were keeping count of the kids, but the daughter is older in the movie. The son is younger, but yet there's a little girl who's younger than both of them. I believe that's Lupita and you're seeing her as a child. Um, in my research of the movie, I found out that she's battling a deep trauma from her past and that the home that they're staying in is actually her family's beach house. Then it makes you wonder if the entire family is having a psychotic break and this is all in their minds as a collective. That's something else to think about. Then I put, then you wonder if the people we're supposed to think are the tethered are actually the untethered and the ones we think are sane actually aren't. Again, going back to the idea of code switching, it could be letting you know that these people who are there attempting to be in society, that's actually not who they are. The people who they are may be the ones who we assume are crazy, but as we go along further into the movie, maybe we realize that they're actually not the ones and that we're seeing it through the eyes of the actual tethered, which is the family we believe is in harm's way. Just another thing I'm throwing out there. Um, <laughs> I can say that I wasn't scared by it. I may have been a little troubled, but not scared. Like there weren't any jumping moments for me, but I was disturbed. I can say that. I put that the only part that seemed scary to me was what I mentioned earlier about Lupita's doppelganger. That deep ass voice she had bothered the hell out of me. <laughs> like, I watched that thing, like I said, about 10 times. It bothered me every single time. I wasn't here for it. <laughs> then I put, uh, I feel like, I feel like something about the little boy is going to be important too, because it's interesting that he's the only one with a scarred doppelganger. If you saw his face, it's like his, he was either burnt or his mouth was sewn up or something like it's like he's missing a mouth and i'm like i wonder if that's the reason why he was wearing a mask that's gonna be very interesting uh very very interesting to dig deep into but yeah i'm looking forward to us and i believe don't quote me on this i believe it comes out around march of next year i believe so so of course it's a given that i'll be in theaters to see that then we get into bird box bird box premiered this past friday on netflix and it was all over the internet so i knew bird box was coming out for like maybe a month or two and it was very quiet as kept there wasn't they did promotion like uh trevante and sandra actually did a lot of press but you i was like you didn't see it anywhere you know I don't know if it's because I'm so far removed from TV, like most of the things I watch are online, but even online, you would assume that you would see more promotion. I knew nothing about it until I just stumbled upon it about a month or so ago. So when it premiered, I was like, a lot of people aren't going to know about this. Nope. Nope. I can't. I, I actually can't remember the last time a Netflix movie was talked about that much on social media. I don't. And that goes for everything from bright to the latest jungle book like i have not heard people talk about a movie like this in a minute from netflix so the notes i took said um so 10 years <laughs> i'm remembering what i typed now so 10 years ago a movie called the happening was released in theaters per usual people hated it because well m night Shyamalan. But per usual, also, I enjoyed it a lot. And I did. I love M. Night Shyamalan. The only time he ever messed up for me was Airbender. And it was a massive, massive mess up. Like, I didn't see his movies for a while after that. Because I'm like, I've defended you for years. And then one of my all-time favorite cartoons you get to make into live action. And you pissed all over it. 
but that's in the past. Um, I thought it was awesome. I felt that the happening was an awesome commentary on Mother Nature and what would happen if she ever had enough of humans' bullshit. Either way, it bombed at the box office and people only talk about it now to dismiss it. I'm guessing that this is why a decade later Netflix decided to release Bird Box. Because honestly, the only thing separating it from the happening is that the ha and in the happening, you knew you were dead if the wind blew. There was something in the air brought on by the trees that made you kill yourself. This time around, it has all to do with sight, where something is making people kill themselves literally once you lay eyes on it, whatever it is. I felt like the movie was rushed. While it was over two hours long, I still feel they had a lot more story to tell. You genuinely didn't know damn near any of the characters. By the end of the movie, I was wondering who pretty much everyone was with the exception of Sandra Bullock's character, Mallory. Javante Rhodes definitely proved he had versatility as an actor. However, there was definitely more to know about him as well. I'm not going to spoil anything, but I'll just say that there are some well-known actors in this movie who also never get truly fleshed out characters. You see them, and you have no idea of a backstory, intentions behind what they're doing. You really don't know a whole lot about them at all. So, in the end, I just felt like they were checking things off a list for a thriller, you know? It's like, okay, jump scares, check. Mother with kids that she has to save, check. You know, ominous presence that no one knows about or, or where they came from, check. All of these things, but they didn't really get into the depth. And again, it was a pretty long movie, but yet to be long, you're still sitting here like we're not really getting a whole lot more behind people, you know? When it ended, I was emotional and I loved it. This is my first time watching it. But after days of thinking about it, I'm kind of like, mm, no, that wasn't enough. It definitely would have been better off as a Netflix series. I could have seen that being far more interesting. If they took Bird Box and they made it into maybe a 10-parter, then I could see the depth that they needed. You know, a lot of suspense, a lot of suspense that could have gone into it. But as this two and like, I don't know, maybe two hours and two and a half hours or something like that, two hours and 14 minutes, something, I felt like it was too rushed. I really did. And people on social media are voicing their opinions all over the place. <laughs> and I just think it's it's interesting because people are sharing either they loved it or hated it and they all seem to be very, very passionate about it. Now, the ending made total sense to me. I saw some people online saying that the the ending was weird. This is a spoiler-free review, so I'm not going to talk about it. But I'm not really sure what the confusion was about. Like, and I'll leave it there because, again, this is spoiler-free. But it, I don't. not only did it make perfect sense to me, that, but that was the point where I started crying was the end. The end, I, I wept. And... Again, I'll leave it there. Damn it. <laughs> I keep getting ready to give stuff away. But yeah, check out Bird Box for yourself. And by all means, you can share how you feel with me. That's hashtag THS podcast or hashtag let's get healed. And let me know what you think of the movie. Also, let me know what you think of the Us trailer as well. I want to thank you guys for riding with us throughout all of 2018. It has meant a great, great deal. My good news that I share with you at the end is that we will be back in 2019. <laughs> the good news that I'll share is that I'm still standing. The great news that I'll share is that you are standing as well. 
there have been a lot of us who have gone through a really rough time of it in 2018. But we are only a week away from an entirely new year. Less than a week, actually. We got this. Stay strong. Look to light. Look to love. Look to the peace within. Show up for yourself. I will see you in the new year. I love you all. Thank you for healing with me. And until next time, namaste.